0: Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. Shep Hyken here back again with another episode of Amazing Business Radio. And we have a very exciting show today because our guest is Rob Markey, who is a partner in Bain & Company, and I'm just going to tell you, I truly believe, and I say this about, to about three or four people in all of the episodes that I've done. Uh, we had Horse Schultz on the show, uh, and I believe that, that Rob is right up there with Customer Experience Royalty. Uh, He is uh, an amazing author of one of my favorite books, The Ultimate Question 2.0, How Net Promoter Companies Thrive in a Customer-Driven World. Uh, Just wrote an amazing article about the NPS system and customer value in the Harvard Business Review. Highly recommended. What I'm going to do is make sure that there is a link in the show notes to that article. But, uh, Hey, a few quick things before we dive into the interview. If you have a story or a question that you'd like to ask, all you need to do is find me on all the different social media channels. You know what they are, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, et cetera, et cetera, and use the hashtag AskShep, and I'll answer the questions either right there, maybe on the show, or on my TV show, Be Amazing or Go Home, which can be found on Amazon Prime, Apple TV, Roku, and a few other places, as well as we're putting the episodes now on YouTube. Why? Because they said we could. Why not? Everybody should watch it. So with that in mind, let's jump into this amazing interview today. Uh, Quick background, Rob Markey is a partner of Bain & Company's New York office and is a leader in the firm's customer strategy and marketing practice. Now what's really cool is he leads this nps loyalty forum and by the way nps net promoter score if you've listened to anything i've done if you've read anything i've written i talk about nps it's my one of my favorite if not the favorite measurement because it gives us so much insight but he runs this forum and 35 senior executives from small companies like american express JetBlue, td bank Lego, Progressive, and I can go on and on. You get the idea. This guy truly is the man. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Rob Markey here on the show. Thanks for coming in, man.
1: Oh my goodness, Shep, I'm <laughs> blushing. I've i, I I'd never been introduced like that.
0: <laughs> well, I'm excited. You know, when I, I read the article and, uh, and that was a Harvard Business Review article, which by the way is titled, Are You Undervaluing Your Customers? And in that article, um, I mean, I pulled out, and there's some great talking points about the four strategies companies use to achieve consistent and sustained growth. Which who doesn't want that? Uh, so I want to talk about that. But beforehand, let's. i since I've got the guy who's in. Like you were involved with writing the book, The Loyalty Effect, back in the 1990s, which was one of my favorite books back then on customer experience and NPS. I, I, did they talk about NPS back then? I don't oh, know no, if it no, had no, come no. out. That predates quite then. NPS. It predates him. But yeah, you just the whole work on loyalty was
1: fascinating. Well, I, I, one of the reasons I came to Bain and Company was because um, I, while I was in business school, I read an article by Fred Reicheld that was called uh, Zero Defections: Loyalty or uh, Quality Comes to Services," mm-hmm. and it just resonated. It was it was about the the value of improving. Uh, or reducing customer attrition. And so I just, I came to Bain wanting to work with Fred and I was fortunate enough to, to get that opportunity. And um, he and I have worked together ever since.
0: Wow. Well, I'm telling you, it's a great partnership. It's working real well. Now, the ultimate question comes out and the ultimate question is NPS. Mm-hmm. On the scale of zero to 10, what's the likelihood that you'd recommend to friend, colleague, et cetera, et cetera? Um, And now you talk about the NPS system, by the way, for those listening to this show, uh, Rob has his own show, the net promoter system podcast, uh, two to three episodes every month about how to use net promoter. But for those that might not know, I can't imagine they wouldn't, but then they may not. What is NPS? So So net promoter.
1: Yeah. So NPS actually is, is kind of two different things. It's, it's the net promoter score, which is uh, at its simplest, that likelihood to recommend question on a zero to 10 scale, where um, you you subtract the zero through sixes from the nines and tens, and you get a net score. Um, More importantly, it's the net promoter system, which is really a set of behaviors and actions and uh, technology support that enables a large organization to provide feedback from customers directly to individual employees real time so that they can learn and improve the way that they serve customers. It's, it, it, you know, there's, there's um, sure there's a score involved. The score is important, but uh, the biggest value, the biggest impact from the net promoter system is really that, learning at the front line and the closed loop with the customer that enables the customer to feel like they were heard and, and like their, their voice means something. Yeah.
0: Jim Bush, uh, who, and you're, and people can't see this, but I can actually see Rob because as we record this episode, I get to see his, his smiling face across the screen. He's shaking his head. Yes. Jim Bush, one of my favorite people to interview uh, quite a while ago for one of my books, a huge fan of NPS. And actually it was, that was, one of the most important metrics uh, at American Express. He was a senior VP worldwide customer experience, customer service. And
1: he was an early adopter. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the, one of the very first people to deploy the net promoter system at scale. And he um, did it with a very, very deliberate objective in mind. In, in in his situation, he had an organization that was quite good, but could, he knew could be better. And one of the things that was holding them back was that he felt that people on the front line didn't feel like they, the, you know, folks in the, the call centers did not feel a sense of ownership for the relationships that they had with the customers. And they didn't even feel like the objective was to improve relationships with American Express card members. They felt like the objective was to get through a script and comply with a bunch of rules and so on so and answer a question and move on yeah, yeah. A- execute a transaction essentially mm-hmm. and so what what jim did which i thought was brilliant was he not only um instituted net promoter that was actually maybe the you know the the icing on the cake what he did was he created a culture in which um the the frontline employees were highly valued and were treated like professionals in fact he he changed the name from telephone service center rep, TSC rep is what they used to call them, to customer care professionals. And and he wanted to put a lot of emphasis on the idea of care for the customer and professional, meaning you use your judgment, you use your own words and your own voice to talk with a, a card member, and you figure out whether this card member wants to talk quick. And get off the phone fast, or wants to be served in a more deliberate way. You figure out whether this card member needs extra care or just a transaction, and <clears throat> you are responsible for figuring out how to comply with the rules. We're not gonna we're not gonna make a, a big deal about it every, each and every day. We're not gonna measure you by average handling time. And what we are gonna measure you by is the. Impact you're having on our relationships with our customers, the Net Promoter Score. Yeah. It was a, it was just a, it wasn't one thing. It was a lot of things where Net Promoter became um, the the North Star for mm. the organization, and and I I believe it it still is today. And compensation is tied to that Net Promoter Score. So that's my least favorite part of what Jim did. Yeah, I know, but he did do it.
0: He did do it. and He, he mentioned that in the interview to
1: me. No, no, he did it. And, and, and there, was, um, there were a lot of ways in which that was a valuable and impactful thing to do. Uh, w- one of the reasons it's one of my least, thing, least favorite things to do is because if you're trying to treat people like professionals and you're trying to make your frontline feel valued, then you should, you should acknowledge that the highest honor that you can give them is to tell them that they did a good job, and to let them know from directly from the customers they serve that they did something to improve their customer's life. And if you start paying for that, you know, on a, on a transactional basis, on an, at, a, at a level like that, you undermine the the intrinsic reward that comes from that, and you turn it into an extrinsic reward, and it, it changes the dynamic completely. Mm.
0: And, but he did do it. And he mentioned, I believe that even at the higher levels, people that weren't on the phone that were managing and overseeing their compensation was based on that as well, because they're
1: coaching and mentoring and getting people into the right mindset. And it was an, it was an integrated system that he put in in place that ran from top to bottom. And um, it was very effective. They, you know, Amex has um, just remained one of the few companies that is at the top of its industry you know, year after year after year. Yep. Enterprise Mm -hmm. Rent-A-Car. Just
0: down the street from my office here in (laughs) St. Louis, Missouri, I know as an early adopter
1: of NPS as well. Um, Actually, Enterprise Rent-A-Car provided the model on which NPS was built. It was actually through observing Enterprise Rent-A-Car and um, the work that had been done by uh, somebody I know you know quite well, Sandy Rogers, who at the time was responsible for, uh, you know, their customer feedback. It was it it was looking at what they had done, where they had a single question-based metric. It was called the Enterprise Service Quality Index, and uh, and then an open-ended verbatim, you know, why. And they provided that feedback directly to each of the locations, each of the rental locations management teams, you know, on a day by day basis and required people to follow up directly with customers that model, simple metric, why follow up. That is the heart of the net promoter system. Yeah. And so simple metric, zero to 10, the likelihood to
0: recommend, why'd you give us a score? gives you the verbatim. By the way, uh, not many companies uh, or organizations use that term verbatim, but verbatim is actually the actual words that the customer speaks about you and you have an opportunity to act on it, the Mm follow-up. So very good. You know, let's take a short break. And when we come back, I want to jump into these uh, four strategies uh, about achieving consistent and sustained growth with customers and uh, why you feel that some people are, are undervaluing the opportunity to build that growth. So we're going to come right back with Rob Markey. Don't go away. This is Amazing Business Radio. Cult is not a scary word. My book, The Cult of the Customer, proves it. It helps you design a strategy to lead customers and employees through five cultural phases or cults. And good news, I've revised and updated the book. The new edition The Cult of the Customer is available for purchase now. It features case studies, tips and tactics to guide you on the journey from uncertainty to amazement and build a customer-focused culture, a cult of the customer. So, what are you waiting for? Go to www cult of the customer.com go there today and order join the cult that turns satisfied customers into customer evangelists the cult of the customer you're listening to amazing business radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert Shep Hyken we're back on amazing business radio talking with Rob Markey of Bain and Company and This great article in the Harvard Business Review talked about. Well, the title is Are You Undervaluing Your Customers? And right away, you know, I'm all about taking care of customers. So that intrigued me. And as I read through it, four real simple points. I'd love you to go through them. Uh, you know, develop robust customer value management processes and tools. Now that sounds, if you read it, doesn't sound all that exciting, but there's some pretty (laughs) exciting content. That's number one. I'll let you take it from here. I
1: have a, I have a knack ship for, um, using complex language to communicate simple, simple ideas.
0: (laughs) And (laughs) my goal is to (laughs) simplify the complicated. Yeah. Maybe you can help
1: me on that, but you know, actually i want to start almost at 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 zero which is it's it's important to understand that the value of your customer base is essentially the value of your company like you know there's no there's no we uh, tweet that one out that's a yeah. good one <laughs> and and so um the very beginning of this is to really try to understand not just the sort of um theoretical lifetime value model for an individual customer but the actual f- discounted cash flow that you can expect from your customer base, both the customers you have today and the customers that you're planning to get in the future, and not only understand what that value is today, but what the levers are for maximizing it. So, you know, you can go out and you can get more new customers. You can get m- you can get fewer customers who are worth more. Uh, you can get new customers at a lower cost you can keep your customers longer you can get them to buy more you can you know you, so what are what what is it worth today and what is the potential and what is it derived from is it derived from those w- which of those levers and what do you think are the actions that are likely to to result in that if you have that in hand then you reach the question okay so on a day-to-day basis what are the the tools that i need in order to manage the value of my customer base up.
0: So um, I just want to make sure I understand you mentioned four or five different ways a company can grow. New customers, existing customers, buying more, cost of the customer, et cetera. Uh, Is there one that you find is more valuable
1: to focus on than others? yes but it's uh yes and it's different in every single yes, case Yes, but <laughs> <laughs> well it's 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 different in every single case right so um i have one one client where the most important le- lever for their business at, in in their industry and in their state of development is new customer acquisition, and within new customer acquisition, it's acquiring the right customers, the ones mm-hmm. who will stick. So we actually have a metric for them that is around mature customer revenue. So in, in meaning um, it's not about raw number of customers acquired. It's about number of valuable customers acquired and still on the books 18 mm-hmm. months later. Ah. I have a different, cu- a different client where uh, the real opportunity is in reducing the cost to serve their existing clients and reducing the um, overhead costs in the operations. So they need to do things like shift people from uh, human channels, phone and stores, uh, into digital channels and not force them there, but actually attract them there with really good digital tools and mobile apps and so on. Um, I have yet another client where the big opportunity is in uh, getting more cross-sell, more share of wallet from those customers. They, they have very good penetration with one of their products. When they get a second product of a particular type into the hands of their customers, that tends to unlock additional value and improve the, the customer's uh, likelihood to recommend. But they have been under-investing in doing that. I think if I were going to say what is the most often undervalued or underestimated tool in the toolkit, I think that um, acquiring the right customers in the first place Mm. is probably the thing that people miss the most often because it's hard to give a sales force or a marketing team a goal that's about quality and quantity. In, in new customer acquisition. And it takes time for a new cohort of customers, a group of customers acquired during some specific time period. It takes time for the, them to reveal what their value will be. Right, I get it. So
0: I love the idea that number one, uh, get a new customer, that's a great metric. Uh, number two is 18 months later, is the customer still there? That means that customers are the completely different type of metric. Um, and, and back to your whole loyalty concept, uh, is, you know, there's been argument that people say that loyal, you know, creating loyal customers may not be as, as financially rewarding as constantly getting new ones. Um, and I kept thinking to myself, how can that be? You know, all the stats, it's so much less expensive to keep the customer than to get a new one. Uh, that's probably an interesting topic for us.
1: Well, it, it's a very interesting topic, and there are absolutely a significant number of cases where, because a company has mismanaged itself, uh, they've made their, their existing customers not very profitable. Uh, in other cases, they're simply not looking at the economics in the right way, and so new customers look like they are more valuable than they really are. Mm-hmm. L- let me give you let me let me give you a couple of reasons for that. One. For most businesses, existing customers, um, you know, once they reach a certain 10-year level, the expected lifetime looking forward is quite long. Most of the churn tends to happen in the early years after acquisition of customers. And so once you've got somebody for three, four, five years, you find that... Um, They've self-selected. They're the ones who like your business model and so on. And and unless a new competitor uh, comes in with a completely different value proposition or you do something that hurts them or you fail to keep up with the competition, you are more likely to keep them than not. Mm. Yeah. So
0: There's a relationship too,
1: a connection, long term. And so um, plugging the holes in the leaky bucket, especially for valuable tenured customers, turns out to be something that um, can really accelerate your growth in a compounding way. The second thing is that there are a lot of hidden costs with new customers. Not only do you have the costs of sales and marketing and distribution, so for example, commissions and fees that you pay to third parties, but you also have onboarding costs. You have lost revenue um, relative to mature customers as customers, new customers ramp up and you've got all the costs, um, especially in B2B settings of adjusting to a new customer relationship and figuring out, you know, ironing out all the kinks in delivery in product quality in whatever it is that, um, don't actually get attributed back to the customer in the accounting system. They simply are functional departmental costs that hide as average cost that gets sort of smeared like peanut butter across the entire customer base. Mm. Now the, the cases where existing customers are not worth very much generally are, are cases where a company has done something um, inadvisable. One they've discounted so deeply to hold on to business that they have made uh, an account unprofitable, or two, they have customized the offering so much Uh that they've imposed an additional set of delivery costs on themselves that make it unprofitable to, uh, to, to deliver for that customer.
0: Yeah. Very interesting. All right. Let's jump to number two, because otherwise, I mean, we could be here. Honestly, we could do an hour to two hours on each one, but unfortunately, we only have a few minutes. Number two is combining, and this is a hot topic, design thinking with loyalty earning technologies.
1: So the issue here, Shep, is that um, it's very hard for people who've been in a functional organization, a process organization, a product organization to really, truly look at their own business through the eyes of their customers. And so it's a skill to develop, you know, really getting in the shoes of your customers, understanding how they experience your business relative to alternatives they have in the marketplace, and then what needs they have that sometimes they don't even know about. And so um, with that as a foundation, actually for many, many people in, in business today, a new set of skills to look at customers through a new set of lenses. You, then it's time to think about the application of technology to customize and personalize the delivery of products and services for the specific needs of a customer. Mm-hmm. Too yes. often, people are, are approaching AI or new technologies through the lens of a tool you know, which basically is vendor driven, right? Somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I got this new tool. Let me, it, it looks cool. It actually works at company X. Here's how it works. And you get so focused on the new tool that you forget what the real customer need was that you were trying to solve with it.
0: Right. I have an argument I've made with my clients who are investing in a lot of new technology. If you thought about really what's this going to do for the customer and even What's it going to do to the person who's working with the customer? Is it cumbersome? And and the design thinking stage as you design the journey for that customer through their eyes, you also, I think, in my opinion, need to be looking at the internal journey. All right, I know we're going to run out of time. you have a comment about that?
1: Well, I was going to say, at Bain, we talk about customer episodes, which are essentially need states that get satisfied by um, a set of processes and, and uh, you know elements of your value proposition. And oh. – um, it it, it it this actually leads into where I think you were going, which is the third the third yeah. element. Uh, customer needs, customer needs, and and organizing around customer needs. Mm-hmm. When when you you when you have an organization that's built around functional teams and and uh, processes as opposed to customer needs, then contention for resources and the. Um, uh, needs of the the functional group revolve around internal warfare as opposed to meeting the needs of customers. And so companies like USAA, for example,
0: insurance company,
1: insurance company yep. that, that caters to the military and has the highest NPS in, among all of its peers by right. a lot. USAA has addressed this by reorganizing itself, at least a part of itself around the needs of their members. So instead of having just, you know, the guys who do auto lending competing for resources with the guys who do auto insurance, they formed a group a team around buying a new car. Which oh by the way, along, you know somewhere in that that uh, episode has to get funded and has to get insured. And by doing that, they've created an esprit de corps within that team and a sense of ownership of the customer episode, so that they stop competing with each other for resources and instead they're competing with other customer needs to say, hey, my need for the customer is more important than yours. We, we wanna solve this problem for the customer. And they're making the case on that basis instead of on the basis of, well, my product priorities are X.
0: And I think that's a good thing.
1: Uh, it is. To, to, it is yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's like a breath of fresh air to work in an organization like that because all the politics are rearranged. They're still politics. We're human, but the politics are rearranged so that they're actually aligned with customer outcomes as opposed to, you know, internal I- internal objectives. Yeah, I know. I work with
0: uh, financial institutions like banks, and there's different groups. There's the mortgage department. There's the Personal banking department, et cetera, et cetera, and oftentimes, I mean, we talk about the ability to cross-sell and and help that customer get as much out of their relationship with the bank as possible. Mm-hmm. But sometimes the people internally are very reluctant to give up their customer to a colleague because they don't trust the colleague's going to manage the experience properly, and it becomes competitive. I know it's a little different than what we're talking about, but no, that's no, a it's a big actually- issue.
1: Well, I, I, Shep, I think you're just putting your finger on another aspect of the same fundamental human. Um, uh, it, it's an element of hu- human social psychology, which is it's called in-group bias. Basically, you know, if you and I are teamed up together and we identify with each other and we learn to trust each other, we're inseparable. We're, you know, I tr- I, I attribute good intentions to you. I forgive you if you make a mistake. Like I know that I can trust you in front of my uh, with my clients, but somebody who isn't part of our group is is part of the out group. Well, they're they're stupid. They don't necessarily have good intentions. They won't do a good job, you know. And it's it's we not, can't trust them. This is not mean spirited. This is simply human nature. Yep. You you can see this in five year olds. It, it's just we have to find ways to overcome it. And so, organizing around customer needs is a way of actually using human nature to advantage instead of trying to fight it by saying, oh, well, we're going to put a cross-functional team on that.
0: Yep. All going toward the same common goal. All right. Leads us to number four, lead for loyalty.
1: So this is actually, um, the one that says the easiest and does the hardest because it requires leaders to, to give up some of their power to the frontline. You know, you, you, um, you had Horst Schultze as a guest not all that long ago, and um, he and I have, have been friends for a long time. I had him on a guest as a guest uh, several times on my podcast. <laughs> Horst likes to talk about um, the fact that that human, that, you know, the people working for us they're human beings. They're not chairs. That's that's how he says it. Mm-hmm. Um, they need a sense of purpose, and they need to own and and uh, feel a sense of agency in what they do. And too often leaders um, take it on themselves to try to run the organization by remote control. Basically, saying, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna set you up, Shep. I'm gonna tell you what the rules are. I'm going to give you a set of incentives. I'm gonna define the boundaries. I'm gonna make a set of scripts for you to follow." And it, it, honestly, it's dehumanizing. It's, um, it, it's something that actually alienates people from each other and from their customers. And so, leading for loyalty is about creating a shared vision and then freeing people to pursue that and giving them the ability to manage towards their own goals by making sure that the goals are actually aligned with customer outcomes and business outcomes. And by creating an environment in which they have a voice, they have the ability to to shape their own work environment and to shape the way that they deliver for customers. Yeah,
0: I always believe that scripts are guidelines and they're great teaching tools. But if you really want to get somebody good, teach them the script and then let them go out and make it their own script and empower them also to make good decisions. If you hire good people and you train them on what you want the outcomes to be, if they're good people, common sense will get them to those outcomes and then you can use that common sense as a great teaching tool for everyone else
1: to learn from. and if they're not doing that, if they're making bad decisions, if they are only motivated by getting paid more at all costs, right, then fire them. You, you hired the wrong person, get rid of them. Yep. Yep. That's
0: often easier said than done. No doubt about that. All right. We are basically out of time. And I know I could have spent a whole lot more on each one of these topics and, and much more because I'd love to maybe sometime get you back and just talk about straight up NPS and the loyalty effect and ultimate question, all that. But what's the one thing, my last question, the one thing you want this audience to remember when we are finished today and I'll make it easy. You can give us something new or go back and emphasize something that you felt was the most important point.
1: Uh, I'll, uh, I'll emphasize something from, uh, from, from the article, which is the, the most important objective for a business should be to grow the value of its customer base. So you as an individual, should have a clear view of how it is that you are contributing to enhancing the value of a relationship with an individual customer. What what value are you creating for that customer and how is that translating into a longer, more fruitful relationship with that human being?
0: Yeah, love it, love it. Rob Markey, an amazing guy, the author of Are You Undervaluing Your Customers, which uh, came out uh, just recently in the January-February Harvard Business Review, uh, is that right? Just recently. Is, like in the, yeah. is, it's, so we're it's
1: this, it's this, this month.
0: this month, so is. powerful stuff. Partner in Bain & Company, guru in the world of customer service, experience, and loyalty. Thank you so much for being on the show. Shep, it, it is always a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you. Everybody, that's another amazing episode of Amazing Business Radio. We'll have another great interview next week, so until then, Shep Hyken reminding you to always be amazing.